Before we begin today's episode of Skincare School, we acknowledge First Nations people as the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia. We recognise and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future whose lands were never ceded. Welcome back to another season of Skincare School. I'm Amy Clark and I'm joined by science educator, chemistry PhD and cosmetic chemist Michelle Wong, aka Lab Muffin Beauty Science. This week on Skincare School. My two main messages for teens are start using sunscreen every day and any skincare that you choose to use should be directed to your skin type. Yeah, there's a whole episode, episode nine in season one, acne, pimples, breakouts and blackheads. Sounds like a cute little crew. It's a lot about, again, listening to your skin, seeing what it wants and just trying to be a bit flexible and reactive instead of trying to stick to some sort of very rigid static routine. In today's episode, we actually have a special guest with us. Welcome to Dr. Catherine Armour, dermatologist and founder of Bespoke Skin Technology. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, ladies. Great to be here. Today, we thought we'd enlist your expertise because in our deep dive, we are talking about how our skin changes over the years. So things from teen right through to other kind of hallmark moments like pregnancy, menopause, and how those kinds of life events can change how our skin looks and feels. So what are the key factors, Dr. Catherine, that impact how our skin looks as we age? Hormones and sun exposure. (laughs) (laughs) The two big ones. In a nutshell, they're the two big ones for men and women, actually, males and females. And actually, genetics, that's the other thing that plays a really big role. That's the one thing that we can't do too much about. But we can do lots about sun exposure and other environmental stresses like pollution, smoking, etc. To touch on hormones, I think, I guess, generally speaking, obviously, every person is individual, but generally speaking, in a woman's life, the hormonal events are kind of like puberty, pregnancy, and then perimenopause, menopause. So can you explain how those changes in hormones can impact the skin at those various different times? In puberty, both males and females, their sex organs, or gonads as we call them, start functioning actively. So I guess we're focusing on women here. So at puberty, both your ovaries and your adrenal glands kind of wake up and start making sex hormones. So we're talking about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and another male or androgenic hormone, which we'll call DHEAS, because it's a bit (laughs) of a mouthful to say. And I guess one of the really important actions of the male hormones, which us girls also make, is to turn on our oil glands or sebaceous glands in the skin. And in the androgens turning on the and the oil glands turning on, they start making oil or sebum, which helps form a little bit of that raincoat of the skin. So it's an important part of the epidermal barrier. But how much oil we make is quite variable, and that's mostly determined by genetics. So, you know, some people have a really oily T-zone and some people just don't. You know, they obviously they'll be a little bit greasier, oilier through their teens than they were as a preteen. And then some people have a really, you know, have really oily skin all over their face, perhaps on their chest and back as well. So there's so much happening in those teenage years once we start making androgens, which are for us girls is a little bit from our adrenal glands and a little bit from our ovaries. And that's entirely normal. And then what about pregnancy? Like how do all the hormones that are going on in pregnancy impact the skin? 
We do see a change in estrogen and progesterone levels and also then often a little bit of a decrease in androgens. It's actually often a change in the balance in the ratios between our hormones that can lead your skin to either be really good. (laughs) So, you know, that gorgeous pregnancy glow that we all wish and hope that that'll be our experience. But for those, particularly those who are quite prone to acne or rosacea, the change in those ratios of hormones and towards the end of pregnancy, an increase in hormones such as prolactin, which are important for those who breastfeed, those kinds of changes and the ratios of those hormones can also, in some people, lead to flares of acne. But also in pregnancy, often when women experience a flare of acne, it's often more because they've had to come off treatments that were controlling their genetically predetermined acne as much as anything. And then after pregnancy and you have a bubba, very gradually over sometimes many, many months and even a year or so, your hormones will gradually return to more the pre-pregnancy ratios. But interestingly, while you breastfeed, in particular, often our levels of estrogen and progesterone are quite low and that can sometimes in some women lead to sort of oily skin or acne because usually we have our estrogen and progesterone balancing out the androgens so it's all about the ratios and then the ratio changes again just when you thought i know what's going on with my skin they change again into peri and or menopause so what happens to the ratio then it's all over the place perimenopause I'm doing it right now so I can... <laughs> Great. I've got some first-hand experience. <laughs> yeah, it's very dear to me, uh, not. But yeah, in perimenopause, your ovaries are slowing down. They're not making as much estrogen particularly, but also sometimes progesterone as they do during in commas reproductive years. And again, it's those ratios of estrogen particularly compared to our androgens that can cause trouble. So often your 40 or for luckier women more in their early 50s as they're going through perimenopause and having great fluctuations in their hormones with each month or you know, over the months of the year, they'll find that they're getting things like wrinkles and pimples, which is the thing we all dread. And that's because you've got this relative decrease in your estrogen, as well as potentially sun damage, which can contribute to wrinkling. But then you've got this lack of the kind of opposition to the male hormones or androgens, which of course, then they drive along the oil glands and give us acne. So not all women get that, but that's for those who do. That's why. And in perimenopause, it's changing all the time. And that's why we get the other symptoms that uh, that go along. Obviously, our skin's not necessarily what it was. You might have, you know, flushing, night sweats, and those sorts of things, of course, which also contribute to rosacea. And then gradually after, you know, menopause is defined, I think, as the 12-month point past your last menstrual period, well, you're not making estrogen anymore or barely any. That's when things are in a more stable fashion. I think the things that we all perhaps don't look forward to in menopause are the drier, rougher skin texture and particularly the wrinkling because we lose a lot of our skin's dermal collagen post-menopause because estrogen is the main driver of fibroblasts and they are the wonderful little, little factories in our dermis that make collagen, elastin, hyaluronic acid, glycosaminoglycans and all those other gorgeous skin plumping fibres that make our skin look youthful. So let's start from the beginning. Let's talk about how we can tweak our skincare over time to manage all of these changes. 
For teenagers or parents of teenagers, what should they be looking for in their skincare products? So although teens, I think, are bombarded on social media now, often being told that they should be using all sorts of different skincare products, it should be a relatively simple time in terms of skincare. And I think definitely in your teens, when you're having a lot of hormonal changes, less is more and just being specific to your skin types. My two main messages for teens are start using sunscreen every day. It's never too early to start, obviously, preventing skin cares. Yeah, yeah, I'm preaching to the converted here. Yeah, absolutely. Start using your sunscreen every day and any skincare that you choose to use should be directed to your skin type. So I guess we're probably more going to be focusing on acne here. But if you have fairly normal skin and don't suffer from acne, your main focus should just be finding a gentle, non-foaming cleanser that you probably only need to use at the end of the day and finding a sunscreen that you enjoy using. So you might want to use a lighter sunscreen on your face than you use on the body. And again, that's to start protecting your collagen and avoiding later risk of skin cancers. If your skin tends to be dry, well, you might want to use a simple moisturizer morning and night. But the reason to find a cleanser is so that we start removing that debris from the day. So obviously makeup and those who wear it, sunscreen and pollution, which in the long term can contribute to the development of acne and skin aging. But in our teens, as you both well know, acne is is often the biggest problem. And about 85% of teenagers do experience acne. In terms of skincare that you can access over the counter, a gentle non-foaming cleanser in the morning if you can find the time but definitely at night. And I say a gentle non-foaming cleanser, avoid these deep pore cleansers and things like that because they don't cleanse your pores in a deep way and they just leave your skin feeling tight and irritated between your pimples and end up disturbing your precious epidermal barrier. So you've got irritation between your pimples. So the cleanser is just meant to remove the debris of the day. It's not meant to achieve all of your skincare goals. And I'm a bit evangelical about that because I see so many teenagers who come in and they've tried all those, yeah, really harsh cleansers. But yeah, I guess it's about what we don't maybe know as a teenager is how important it is to keep the skin barrier intact as possible rather than just like nuking, trying to like, you know, destroy all evidence of pimples or acne and bacteria. Absolutely. And it is tempting because it sounds like that sounds like it's going to fix me. You know, that's going to be a, you know, it's going to cleanse deeply. It's going to do everything. But I think the main message is if you use a cleanser and your skin feels tight or kind of shiny, squeaky, then it's too much. Again, over the counter things, niacinamide, vitamin B3, beloved to all of us who like skincare. That's a great thing to be applying to the whole face twice a day. There are lots of really cost effective options on the market, and vitamin B3 is just so good. It's anti inflammatory, which helps in acne. It gently down regulates oil gland function, which is useful. It plays well with all of your other skincare and helps prevent irritation from the other active skincare because it protects the epidermal barrier. So niacinamide is a must, I think, to sort of unblock your pores and prevent more pores from getting blocked, which is really the next important thing in acne. It's useful to use either an alpha hydroxy acid or a gentle alpha beta hydroxy acid mix 
or a topical retinoid or vitamin A. And those are things that we'd put on the whole area of the face where the acne occurs. They're not just a spot treatment because I do see lots of people using them just as spot treatments. And again, that'll get to the root of the problem by stopping more pores from getting blocked. And over time, some people who get quite tolerant to these, could maybe use an AHA and a retinoid together. It's not that common to be able to do that, but some people alternate. They might use an AHA one night and a retinoid the other night. But the main thing is just to go really slowly with these things yeah. because they otherwise they can be quite irritating. Anything in acne takes a good three months to get you as good as you're going to get. So whether that be something that you're using that your dermal therapist, beautician, GP or dermatologist has recommended, it'll all take about three months before you can really assess benefit. Yeah, great advice for parents or teens as well because I know there's a lot of like emotion and self-esteem connected to our appearance, especially in those kind of formative teen years. Coming into our 20s and 30s, what are the kinds of things that you want to be starting to build into your skincare routine in your 20s and then kind of into your 30s? The first three things, I know I'm like a broken record, the first three things are sunscreen, sunscreen and sunscreen <laughs> because I know we all believe that, but it's surprising how many women still aren't doing that. So I kind of just remind people it's not just about preventing skin cancers, which is obviously the most important thing, but you've got to, we've got to remember that our sunscreens, they protect our collagen, they keep what you've got because in your 20s and 30s, you've still you know got lots of beautiful collagen. They also help you avoid redness and dilated capillaries that none of us like. If you've not had much in the way of acne, you might not have used niacinamide or other antioxidants before your 20s. So that's a great time to add antioxidants into your daily routine. And antioxidants, look, a lot of them have other functions as well, but they really protect what we've got. I've already belted on about niacinamide. I think it should be in the water. We should all be putting it on our skin every day. <laughs> but it's anti-inflammatory, anti-pigment, protects the barrier, protects collagen. So that should be continued if you've already started it. Vitamin C is beloved of many people and it is great. It's, you know, protects collagen. It's essential to help make more collagen. It's a great skin lightening anti-pigment ingredient, but it's not for everyone. So if you tolerate it well, wonderful. It's a great thing to be putting on every morning. If you don't tolerate vitamin C, then astaxanthin is its kind of younger cousin, which does all the same sort of things, but it's, it's a, just a different option if you are sensitive to vitamin C. If unwanted pigmentation is a specific concern, if you've got it or want to prevent it, then as well as being antioxidants, other great ingredients include, you know, green tea, licorice root extract, arbutin, azelaic acid or kojic or lactic acid. Because in Australia, studies have shown that we actually age 10 to 30 years earlier than our counterparts around the world, sort of in the US, Canada and the UK is what's been studied. In your late 20s and certainly into the 30s, you definitely want to think about stimulating new collagen. And the best literature is around obviously topical retinoids and Bacuchiol is another option that does similar things if you're sensitive and can't tolerate retinoids. We've done a whole episode already on vitamin A, so by now everyone is well-versed in the powers of vitamin A. I think that's a good segue. Pregnancy, you can't use it. <laughs> yeah, so there's so much stuff about 
pregnancy skincare and just so much judgment about what you can and can't do during pregnancy in general. So can you just give us the lowdown on which things we can and can't use? I guess mostly what we can't use during pregnancy and then how that is different from breastfeeding. The main ingredients to avoid is actually hydroquinone. So hydroquinone, obviously it's used both over the counter and compounded into prescriptions to treat melasma or unwanted pigmentation. And the reason to not use that is it is very well absorbed through the skin. And so potentially it would obviously get from mum's bloodstream to baby's bloodstream through the placenta. So hydroquinone is an absolute no-no. And there's lots of other ingredients that we can use in pregnancy that are safe to combat unwanted pigmentation. The other big one, of course, is topical retinoids. It's really controversial still, and I don't really believe it will ever not be controversial. So retinoids, some people say, oh, it's fine, you can use them. And I can tell you that I have previously done straw polls on large numbers of dermatologists. And though most of us think they're probably fine, nobody is ever going to say that, ever. And that's because we know that oral retinoids, such as isotretinoin, which we use to treat severe acne, and acetretinoin which is used to treat severe psoriasis and some other rarer skin conditions, we know that even a single dose of those during early pregnancy can cause really, really severe birth defects. So what has happened is that that information has really been sort of transferred into using topical retinoids. And the difficulty is you can never study this in a controlled prospective manner. No one is ever going to do clinical trials on pregnant women because a developing baby is too precious. So given that we have other options that are safe in pregnancy, I personally believe, and my colleagues would agree with me, that you should avoid retinoids in pregnancy. We can still use all our antioxidants, our niacinamides, our vitamin Cs, astaxanthin, AHAs, and I think, Michelle, probably you're also getting at one of the other things that's had a big question mark over it, which has been AHAs and also salicylic acid, which is the BHA that we tend to use in skincare. They have actually been maligned in the past. We know actually it's quite lactic acid is quite safe to use in pregnancy. Salicylic acid, certainly, if we're just applying it, if we're restricting it to the face in concentrations up to 2%, absolutely safe to use, which is useful. And glycolic acid in particular has previously been been maligned and, and it's been said that, no, no, we shouldn't use that in pregnancy. Well, that's actually not true. I think if we're using it for facial use, that's now felt to be absolutely safe to use in pregnancy. So that gives us quite a repertoire. And likewise, benzoyl peroxide for use on the face is safe in pregnancy and I tend to not recommend using more than 2.5% whether you're pregnant or not just because it causes irritation without much more benefits. So really the message is always if in doubt ask your medical professionals for what they think and there's so much information and also misinformation available to us on the internet about what you should and shouldn't do this is safe this is not so close down the TikTok app and just give your OBGYN a call or your dermatologist and they'll be able to go, yep, so good or ah, no, maybe try something different instead. There's also a website called MotherSafe, which gives you a lot of advice. It's run by the government. So that's a good place to go to kind of 
reassure yourself after going too deep down that TikTok hole. And also, at the end of ingredient lists, sometimes you'll see retinol palmitate or salicylic acid, and they're in products in really small amounts, usually as antioxidants or as part of the preservative system. And if you're pregnant and you've just listened to this episode and what Dr. Catherine just said, you do not need to freak out because the amount is so small in those products. The freaking out and that stress is probably worse for your baby than the tiny amount that would even make it through your skin and into your bloodstream and then into your baby's bloodstream. So don't freak out. You do not need to freak out if you have just used a product with a tiny amount of retinol. Yeah, very wise words of advice, guys. So now let's move into like 40s, 50s and beyond into that peri and menopause stage, Dr. Catherine. What kinds of things would you be looking for to kind of like tweak your skincare routine to combat some of that dryness and other things? associated with that hormonal shift so i think in your 40s 50s 60s it's also great to introduce in addition to the things we're already doing sun protection antioxidants hopefully a retinoid or an aha to add in dna repair enzymes they're certainly around on the skincare market they're well evidenced but they're still not necessarily that well known but they're in quite a few brands now and dna repair enzymes just help support our skin's own ability to repair damage that it's getting day to day. So yes, yeah, certainly in terms of how nourishing your products are, you will want to, particularly at nighttime, you'll want to increase the thickness and how nourishing your product is, whether that be a plain moisturizer or whether that be a product that's delivering a whole lot of other ingredients. But you ideally, most of us as our skin dries out at this time of life, you'll need to work harder on moisturizing at nighttime. Sometimes during the day, it may not be as much of an issue if you're already kind of layering some skincare, wearing sunscreen and possibly makeup. So I think the main message there is listen to your skin if you feel like you need more moisture. And it may just be a matter of adding in a plain pharmacy brand moisturizer in the morning to plump things up. Definitely an important time to keep your fibroblasts working hard and making more collagen. And that's with the ingredients we've already spoken about, your retinoids, bacuchiol, AHAs, PHAs. I would just put in a plug so PHAs or polyhydroxy acids do the same sort of things as AHAs and the main one available on the market is gluconolactone and that's a really good option if you are quite sensitive or have a tendency to rosacea so gluconolactone is a good one. So I think it's more about yeah upping the nourishment that you put on your skin and continuing those active ingredients that you've been using through your, your 30s and early 40s. Thank you so much Dr Catherine for joining us for this segment. It's been amazing picking your brain. Thanks so much for having me. Lots of fun. Staying on the topic of hormones and how this impacts our skin, here is today's listener question. Hi, guys. I have a question about sensitive skin and hormonal acne. So I've recently come off the contraceptive pill and my cystic hormonal acne has come back in a major way. And I just feel as though my skin type has changed or just that I'm producing a lot more oil than I used to but at the same time my skin is extremely sensitive so I feel like the products that used to work on my skin aren't working as effectively or might be a bit harsh is there anything that you could recommend for this and do I have to completely start over and kind of figure out from the beginning 
how to go from this and yeah i suppose which basic products do you recommend will help with not only cystic acne but also getting lots of little bumps and blackheads at the moment but products that won't completely burn my face off please for anyone that is thinking about how contraception impacts skin and the different things we did a four-part series on the beauty iq uncensored podcast with experts around that whole topic so that can just be some background homework listening first off there are a lot of different types of pills the one that i'm assuming the listener is asking about is the combined oral contraceptive which has an estrogen and a progesterone the estrogen is pretty much the same in every pill and that's actually the bit that is doing the i guess oil reducing and acne reducing it's a female hormone and it kind of suppresses the male hormones so the male hormones are part of what increases oil and increases acne this is one of the reasons why men tend to have more severe acne and oilier skin also there are some hormonal conditions that can also cause that things like pcos for example in women so with that change in oil that is essentially what skin type is based off and so if you've come off the pill a lot of people find that their skin type kind of shifts one step towards oilier. I've also had this experience as well. When I'm off the pill, my skin goes even oilier than it normally is, and then it comes back down when I'm on the pill. So you will probably have to act like you have a different skin type. You'll probably have to use different products. You might be able to get away with different amounts of the products you're already using. So for example, if you've come off the pill and you've got more oil, then you might need to use less moisturizer, for example. But you will probably also find that your skin concerns will change. Like the listener said, the acne has changed. And so you'll probably need to look for more ingredients that target that. So there are four things that contribute to acne, which we've talked about in the previous season yeah there's a whole episode episode nine in season one acne pimples breakouts and blackheads sounds like a cute little crew so there's so much more detailed information in there but i mean skin's not the only thing that can become oilier as well or shift when you have hormonal changes anecdotally some people find that their hair might start to get a bit oilier a day earlier than they usually would have washed it or you might have changes in texture. So it's all about just making tweaks in your routine or just tweaks to how you were doing your skincare before. As Michelle mentioned, you might want to start using a little bit less moisturizer. You might like to switch to a lighter textured moisturizer. So a moisturizer that has a bit more kind of more the humectant or the water loving ingredients versus those more nourishing emollient moisturizing factors or oils for example it could even be like changes to makeup too like if you're a makeup wearer you might like to do a bit of a light dusting of your translucent powder over the t-zone where you didn't used to do that before so lots of different ways you can combat it but what about as the skin type changes or I guess the skin's condition is it like okay this is how my skin's going to be forever now or is it a period of re- regulation. So hormones change all through your life with lots of different things, including going on and off the pill. Like it'll change with if you're pregnant, if you develop a particular condition as you get older. So I think skin type is largely static, but there can be small shifts, even with coming on and off the pill. If you have drier skin, your shift is not going to be the same as someone with oilier skin. So I think it's a lot about, again, listening to your skin, seeing what it wants and just trying to be a bit flexible and reactive instead of trying to stick to some sort of very rigid static routine. And being prepared, you know, there's a pretty good chance that there might be some kind of change to your skin, hair, 
etc. So just kind of knowing that that's part of the process. Nothing in life is forever. And there's lots of things you can do in your skincare toolkit just to help manage that as you go on the journey. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Skincare School. You'll find everything we spoke about referenced in the show notes. Got more skincare questions? Well, did you know that there's a whole team of experts and product specialists waiting to answer them on our Adore Beauty live chat? You can jump onto the adorebeauty.com.au website and chat to our team of real people in real time. And while you're there, tell us what you think, leave a review and a rating, and don't forget to tell everyone in your life about Skincare School. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe in your podcast app and you'll get a notification the second that our next episode drops.